people had their own path to success. Some people had multiple failures in life or still, you know, were there where they are. Uh, people who had a stellar career right from the beginning and knew we were going to land as a VP at Google, right? So I realized that everyone had a very different path. And I have talked about this, that I've made many pivots in my career. And um, until I joined Google, I wasn't really clear about like, what's my ultimate pivot? Caution. Listening to this podcast may motivate you to make positive changes in your life, identify ways to accelerate your career trajectory, and develop a path towards financial freedom. This is the Career Meets World podcast, and I'm your host, Edward Gorbis, and I've spent the last 10 years focused on helping thousands of people advance their career while in parallel teaching a secret recipe to reach financial independence. And I'm here to share the untold stories of successful people and teach thousands of listeners how to develop a growth mindset. Our minds are malleable and everyone has the power to change their mindset through perseverance, dedication, and a passion for learning. So if you're ready to skyrocket your business and financial literacy, turn up the volume and let's dive right in. This is the Career Meets World podcast. Welcome back, podcast family. With us today, we have Mahak Sharma, who is a full stack product strategy and ops leader with experience building businesses across both Asia and the United States. She works at Google and leads growth partnerships with some of the largest and most established commerce businesses in the world. She is a woman at Google Lead. That is a global initiative focused on empowering women in tech and building a sustainable culture that is both diverse and inclusive. Prior to Google, she spent six years building startups and was most recently the head of SMB growth at Twitter was the VP of Business Development at InMobi, where she helped incubate and grow revenue partnerships globally across Asia, Europe, and the United States. And prior to that, she worked at a venture capital fund focused on renewable and sustainable energy investments across India. She was also a tech founding team member of a startup that focused on building hybrid solar power plants for rural and underprivileged people in Asia. She's an active angel investor and also advises startups on high impact growth operations. Mahak holds a master's in material science and engineering from Carnegie Mellon University and her bachelor's degree from the Indian Institute of Technology. Mahak, thank you so much for joining us today. It's a pleasure to have you on the show. I'm really, really excited to talk about your background, everything that you've accomplished, your current work, everything going on in the world. There's so much for us to unpack. You've spent a good portion of your life overseas. And quite frankly, you're actually an immigrant like myself as well. And that brings a very different way of looking at life and how we've been brought up and think about the world. Can you share a little bit about your upbringing? What was it like living in other countries and then ultimately your immigration to the States? 
Yeah, of course. First of all, thank you, Edward. I'm so glad to be here. Um, this is such, you know, this is an age of podcasts with a pandemic, and I'm glad to be a part of one. Um, yeah, so I did, just like you, I did, you know, I was raised in multiple countries. And interestingly, uh, I'm Indian by origin, but my dad used to work uh, with the army as a doctor, and he was also a professor teaching in medical colleges. So he lived in several countries across. Middle East and Europe and I under 10 I traveled with him to all these countries um, and and then I uh, I stayed for about eight years in India and then moved to the United States so the longest I've stayed in my life is in the United States um, and I immigrated with uh, for my graduate college so I came here I attended Carnegie Mellon in Pittsburgh that was my first you know, sort of three years of college. I was on my way to do a PhD, decided to start a company, left my PhD. Um, and so, yeah, here I am, you know, I kind of spent some time at the East Coast. I'm here on the West Coast. This is a place, San Francisco is the place I call home now. That's beautiful. And you had mentioned that there's a moment where you went from doing your PhD to thinking about starting a company. Can you talk about that thought process? What led you to that kind of thought process around innovation? Yeah, of course. So I think a lot of immigrants will, um, you know, agree and concur to this, that when you're growing up, uh, especially in Asia, there's a lot of pressure around academics. So I really had few choices as to what I could do. Uh, and I was I was lucky because my parents still gave me a choice and I, I wanted to be an engineer. I studied, you know, science and math, and I, I decided to um, sort of continue my graduate studies. And then Somewhere during my graduate school, I realized that, um, you know, I don't want to do more. And one of my professors was, you know, building a company in renewable energy. I was always very passionate about renewable energy. I thought there was a lot of applications, especially in, in rural Asian countries, and I wanted to be a part of that. Um, but it, it was a difficult decision because you're leaving commitment that you've made for the PhD to start a company, which is highly uncertain. There's a lot of pressure from family and friends to not do so. Um, but I've been a person, and I think that also comes with the fact that, you know, when you you move on a lot when you were being raised. I have a tendency to like look forward a lot, sometimes way too much. And I think uh, I was just excited by the idea of, you know, being able to make an impact where I, you know, for now I think I've become more committed, but I think at that time I was just thinking forward and I was like, I'm, I'm going to start a company. I'm going to make an impact and this is the right thing to do. I'm going to leave my PhD, talk to my advisors and my friends. And, and I did that. So really at that time when you're, you're very young, um, you haven't experienced the word, you value opportunity way more than um, loyalty or commitment at that point, like when you're very young, because you're thinking there's so much you could do. And then as you grow up and you see the word, you start balancing the two a lot. So at that time, I kind of just chased opportunities, you know, and I, and I went ahead with it. I love that. There's this interesting moment early on in our careers where the world's just in front of us and there are so many different things that we can pursue. There are different places we can live. And I think even more so now than ever, uh, obviously the pandemic has put that on hold, but going forward, things will reopen. There will be continuous opportunity. And frankly, if people have that entrepreneurial mindset, they can certainly start now. So for you personally, you went into that entrepreneurial landscape like many people do early on. 
what did that experience teach you and how are you able to take some of those learnings and kind of move it forward into the next phase of your career? I ran the company for about two years in the job. I was um, taking on multiple roles. I was trained as a product manager, but I, you know, I was setting up power plants in Asia. I was traveling a lot. I was working with people from different culture. Um, one of the things I realized early on right out of college is that lack of training and mentorship um, was hurting me because, uh, because when you, when you just, you know, kind of jump into a really tough opportunity with, with, with that, you know, with that passion and very little training, uh, it can hurt you sometimes. And um, so my, my biggest learning was that even though I really enjoyed the experience, I learned a lot in the process. Um, the structured approach to setting up a global business is something that I hadn't, you know, been trained on and I couldn't work closely with people to do so because it was just three people, you know, three of us were doing this. And so you don't get opportunities to get mentored by people and you, you don't get opportunities to get trained out of college. So I think for me, uh, the biggest learning was to get some more experience before I venture out into the startup world again. Um, and, and at the same time, you know, from an economy point of view, at that time, the economics of uh, renewable energy weren't really viable. And so um, I also jumped into the opportunity without really looking at the business economics of it. And I realized that without government subsidy, it's really hard to make it work. And so these are the kind of things I feel like, you know, when you're again, young in your career, you think you can manage all of it, but there's real opportunity cost and thought process that goes into starting a company, especially a global renewable energy company that I think I, I didn't think about. Um, but these were kind of the two big learnings, both from a personal career standpoint and then from a business standpoint as well. There's certainly a lot to learn in building out a company. You end up wearing pretty much every single hat, uh, especially as you're early on, you're kind of figuring things out you fall, you get up, you fall, you get up, you repeat that pattern over and over. And clearly along the way, it's imperative to have a support system. It's imperative to have mentors and people to guide you and figuring out a lot of those elements that you just mentioned that we might not know. Who was there to support you early on in that process? And how did you go about connecting with those people? That's a really great question, you know, and I think that roughly kind of ties it to one of my passion subjects that's mentorship, right? And I think, um, you know, for me, how did I choose people that I want to talk to? I think for me, the four things that really matter while choosing a mentor or even, you know, my support group, so to speak, as an entrepreneur, um, you know, I think uh, I, I've always been on the look. I'm a very strongly intrinsic value driven person. So values for me is extremely important. Um, accessibility of that person, like, am I able to call that person whenever I want to? Um, and, and of course, compatibility and then commitment from that side as well. So I think, um, you know, I've, I used to a, a kind of a hybrid model of um, seeking advice. One was direct explicit mentorship, which is where you call a person, you tell them. Uh, most of my mentors at that time, I didn't know many entrepreneurs, frankly, like my, my circle was very academic. And most of my mentors were professors who had started a company. So they were coming from a very you know, technical standpoint, really not advising me on business. And then during the time when I was working, I met a lot of people who were 
on the ground, like doing real work and in, in renewable energy, building plants by themselves, understanding the, the grassroots of, you know, how, how the plants work and the economics of it. So um, there it was really difficult for me to, um, you know, reach out to these people when I, where I wanted. And I kind of followed the apprenticeship, apprenticeship model where I, I observed a lot of these people and I seeked out opportunities to work with them very closely. Um, so for me, um, I, I realized that those two were my gaps, right? Like as I, I want to build on to my technical expertise because that's what's going to make the company possible. And the second gap that I had was just lack of business understanding in these countries where I was building these power plants. And I think a hybrid model is still something I follow a lot. Um, even, you know, I work for Google right now and at Google, I see so many great people. Um, not all of them have the time and bandwidth to help me and advise me. And I think the way I, I try to do it is I try to create opportunities where we could work together and I could, you know, passively get trained by these people. And then I have like one or two people, very few, that, that actively help me, advise me, or uh, they're my champions within the company, but you can only find one or two of these people because no one has the time these days. So you really have to identify the right people in the first meeting or two meetings, and then you have to create opportunities where you could you could kind of work together. So that's a model I've always followed. Um, and I, I'm also a person who learns a lot by doing things. You know, there are people who observe. I'm a person who's a doer. Um, and so for me, the apprenticeship model is perfect because working with someone trains me so much more than just reading books on it, which I try to do a lot, but still like getting that actual experience, the real experience is, um, is, is way more valuable for me. So let's tap into that a little bit more because I'm curious now, you've hit on this point of theory versus practice right, where an apprenticeship is very much putting things into practice. And oftentimes in formal education, we're taught a lot of things and rarely are we shown how do we apply it. So what's your personal perspective on what it means to pursue an advanced degree potentially or even getting an early on degree versus going out and running in the world and whether it's starting a business or jumping into a company, do you still value both or what's your appetite on kind of pursuing one or the other? It's a great question. Actually, lots of my young cousins asked me this question as to should we go for a very specific, should we be a generalist or should we go into a specific field and go deep into that? Right. And I, and I think um, my experience has been that it, it I think practical experience for me personally has always been way more valuable. Um, I am, you know, currently I'm actually planning to, you know, pursue a side degree, um, you know, from Stanford. And, and I think the reason is because now I actually understand exactly what I need, you know, and as opposed to when I was 21 and I just did, which a lot of other people were doing, you know, I wanted to come to the U.S. I wanted to pursue my, you know, the technical field that I was studying, uh, studying on. So I think being very thoughtful about what, uh, what you're going to choose as your graduate school and your graduate field of study is very important. That's the first thing. Like it's basic advice. The second thing I really believe is um, 
you should be able to experiment, right? There's tons of online schools these days, right? If you think, you know, psychology is something that you're interested in, um, just do a few psychology classes online and see how, kind of see how that works for you and then go deeper. I didn't have that opportunity back then, right? Like how do you create these experimental opportunities where you, you kind of understand your aptitude a bit more and then go deep into it, then invest your time and money in it, right? And the third thing is, I think, being able to iterate. If you've done it, don't just go with it because you've, you know, you've done it, right? Like you need to continuously evaluate whether this is something that would add to what you want, uh, assess it at the time of doing it as well. Um, so I think a combination of being very nimble and agile about how you deal with your graduate school, or even, um, you know, if it's not graduate school, even any kind of degree that you're pursuing. So I, I personally think to get all these three in the right order, you do need some practical experience. It's so hard to, to experiment and get that feedback loop without even knowing what's required on the job, right? So uh, my, my, my advice to everyone always has been to, um, you know, if they can do that in college or if they can, as much as they can do it, they try and work on practical on the job experience. And then after that, be thoughtful, uh, experiment a little bit and iterate. It's kind of the lean, you know, startup methodology followed in your career, you know. Absolutely. That experimentation is so important and it's almost like getting a sample or an appetizer of something and figuring out whether or not you like it and want to eat more of it or want to pursue more of a particular topic. We have that in today's world through a lot of different education technology platforms. And I think a lot of companies now are enabling their employees to pursue new opportunities and help those employees figure out what they're truly passionate about, what their strengths are, where should that employee focus more energy, because that's really where that employee can have the most impact on the company. And as you mentioned earlier in your career, you had started out kind of the entrepreneurial route you learn and recognize that there's so much more for you to learn from other people in your life. And then you started to pivot and went more towards kind of the corporate route from Inmobi to Twitter to Google. What was that process like? And how did you end up landing at Inmobi, which to my knowledge is an Indian-based company? Uh, what was that process for you? What did you learn early on? And talk through a little bit how you ended up at Google ultimately. Yeah, of course. Um, so I'll be honest, um, you know, when, when that startup, it was one of the most challenging times of my career when, when the startup didn't go through and I was in a country, I, I was, you know, in the U.S. and went back to India and Asia to, to establish those plans. And I was very directionless. I, I had no anchor when it came to a home country. Um, I felt like I'm, you know, not really an American from a, from a professional standpoint, not Indian, because I was kind of, you know, in, in this boat of managing a global business. So from a geography standpoint, I wasn't clear. From a sector standpoint, I realized renewable energy isn't the sector that I want to work on because um, 
or at least the technology that we were working on was very expensive. And so it was not the right technology. And then, and thirdly, I, uh, I lacked people who had taken such steps in their career. I, I didn't have the kind of network to reach out and say, Hey, did you start a company? Did you leave a PhD? All the friends that I had were pursuing their PhD. They were very much into what they wanted to do. So I had, um, you know, I was kind of at a very low point and what I did was I, I said, I need to anchor some, I need to anchor my next move to something, right? And so I actually anchored it to the to the technical field, which was renewable energy. And I said, that's something I know. And I actually, after that company, went to a VC fund in, in Mumbai, India, where we invested in a lot of technology companies that were building renewable energy, you know, um, plans, et cetera, around Asia. And my thinking there was, let me see other technologies out there. Let me see if there's something that's more economic economically viable and then um, and then we we kind of go with that right um, after that I spent you know we invested in a bunch of companies realized that um, there is not many uh, companies out there that are profitable and scaling with renewable energy and um, I, I, I went to this college in India called IIT where um, you know, a lot of engineers in India come out of that. And uh, one of my friends recommended me to the Inmovi founder. It was kind of the first unicorn coming out of India. They were just, they just got funded by Kleiner Perkins and SoftBank. Um, so it seemed really promising. Again, my passion for startups. I, again, I decided to anchor then on startups when I realized there's nothing within renewable energy. And I um, decided to lean on to the network that I had and the, re you know, references that I was getting and people were streaming speaking very strongly of the founder and the team that they had built. Um, so I, I really kind of jumped at the opportunity. It was about mobile ads, frankly, and I didn't even know what mobile ads were. I was like, who clicks on these ads, right? Like, it seems like the, the, the really the worst business idea, but apparently it was very profitable and it was scaling a lot. And it was one of the first few companies apart from Google that was doing it globally. Um, I, I had the you know great great fortune of really growing within that company, starting as uh, as almost an analyst, and then um, you know they had excellent quality of people, and um, then establishing sort of three businesses within the company: one within Asia, two in the U.S. Um, and within that, I, I decided to pivot my roles. I pivoted from being a technical person to being a business person. Uh, but I really treated that as my experimental ground where I said, I'm going to learn everything. This is my five years of graduate school of, you know, MBA on the on the job, kind of an MBA where I learned everything. And then I decide what I need to do. Um, and and then and then so I kind of did that. And, you know, if you were to, you know, we went from 100 people to 2000 people in three years. So it was and it was a global business. I was traveling a lot. It was taking a lot of toll on my personal life. During this period, I got married, um, and and so I decided to kind of work with, and I I was already in U.S. at that time, so I uh, at that's the time when I realized that there's you know something called personal commitments as well, right? Like at that time, you go ahead and you just kind of follow opportunities. You're ambitious. You have all these aspirations, and then you you get married or you have kids, right? And then that's when you realize that you know there is something about you know a more stable, bigger company where uh, you have the option of choosing a job that uh, that gives you an opportunity to stay with your spouse or be at a place or build
build a home. Like really at that time, I was on a flight eight months a year uh, at Moby. And so uh, it came to a point where I realized that this is not sustainable. And if it's not sustainable, then I shouldn't be investing more in it. And plus, I realized I'd kind of plateaued in my learning as well. I had done everything I needed to with that company. And it was time for me to get a more... Um, to really uh, work with a broader canvas, right? Like instead of just being within mobile advertising, I wanted to be with a company that is more consumer facing, is a platform based business where I can, you know, really deal with partnerships. I was a partnerships person and I can deal with partnerships that have, um, you know, multiple products versus one, right? And I, and I wanted to, I wanted to kind of dabble with, you know, consumer, consumer businesses. Um, Maps was an area which I now work on. I was really passionate about. Um, interestingly, Google's interview process, uh, I wanted to join a specific team, almost meant for 10 months. And at that time, you know, Twitter gave me an offer. I wasn't sure, um, you know, if I wanted to join Twitter. I had a lot of friends there. But when I joined, Twitter was really going through a lot of churn, right? Jack Dorsey had just come back. He was making a lot of changes in the company. Uh, when I joined, about six people within my team that I was managing, you know, quit the company. My manager and my manager's manager, who I knew very well, both were about to leave the company. So it was kind of a mess, you know, at that time. And they were really trying to figure out what's next for them. Like now it's a bit more sale company, but that time it was really, really um, a difficult place to work. Um, love the company, nothing against the company, everything. They, they're just running a very tough business. Uh, plus Jack Dorsey runs two companies, so that makes it tricky. Um, and so I, I, and then I got the offer from Google. So the, the Twitter, um, you know, move was more from a platform standpoint, and then Google was just a more stable and, um, you know, place to work. And that's, it just happened, right? I, I didn't really plan the Twitter to Google move. My my options were from Inmobi to go to a bigger company, and I was talking to several of them. Uh, for me, culture was important, people were important, and stability was important, so I chose that. Thank you for sharing that story about kind of your evolution, your career. There's so much to unpack there because it feels like one, Twitter was a healthy layover for you, where you went from Inmobi to Google and you're still at Google doing incredible things. We'll talk about that in a second. But there's so much that happens along the way through that transition process and growing up and realizing what you value. You mentioned that there's this inflection point for you where you recognize eight months out of the year is not sustainable to be consistently traveling. It's not a way to build a life. It's a way to get a tremendous amount of experience through being on the road, working with clients, working with people of other cultures, which is so crucial to working at a large corporation, which is probably what afforded you those opportunities, or at least part of what that built for you. In the process of building a lot, of, a lot of those partnerships and traveling all over the world, what was the biggest thing that you learned from getting to diversify and immerse yourself into so many different cultures? That's a really tough one. Um, I learned a lot about cultures. I realized I knew nothing about Asia, even though I was in Asia. Like every Asian country is so different. Um, you know, my biggest biggest uh, learning, both good and bad, was the way women are treated in every country. You know, as a leader who is a woman and was running a team, I, I, I just I was shocked to see how different countries 
of view women leaders and um, both in some countries pleasantly surprised in some countries not um, and that's really the first time in my career that I realized that you know um, you, you need to think about how you conduct yourself in different cultures as a woman leader and it's perceived very differently it's looked at very differently um, and, and but it was just a very eye-opening moment. Like I've I've been in meetings where uh, in Korea where I've been asked to serve stuff, and and you know people like did realize that you know I'm the person who's leading the team, and they would like address uh, you know Mehek as someone else because they just didn't think that the woman in the room is going to be the leader. So um, it was really interesting to see that, and they they didn't really mean it. I don't think they they had any bad intentions while doing this. They just haven't seen this, you know. Um, in you know growing up um and so it was really interesting to see that right and and you know being an engineer uh, being in india i've been in rooms which are full of men and just myself as a woman but when you're on the job working you don't realize that because especially because i was in the us at that time and it's you know so much better here uh but when you start working in a global setting it's really different and it's really interesting to see how um you know different countries operate and that's just an example like how women are treated but apart from that like in general how how the culture is itself is very interesting um you know people think global jobs are very interesting because you get to travel you get to out, meet a lot of people but there's so many intricacies to getting you know deals done you know you're a partnership person you know you know getting a deals done in in china versus japan versus korea versus india versus the us and and it's really difficult and you you need to at every moment take a call on you know what is what are your principles and values of running a team and running a business and doing a deal and which ones um are you ready to compromise any or not right and i think for me the answer was always no like i'm very principled and very value driven so you have to let go of several opportunities in different cultures because they just don't meet um you know your personal standards or your personal sort of values so the intrinsic and extrinsic value gap is very different in every country so uh, the way you get the work done and if you're willing to get it done that way is very different too you're totally right and first of all i appreciate you bringing up the point that the normalization level for how women are treated in every single country whether it's in business or just in kind of traditional life is very, very different. There's a long way for us to go to try to equalize it if that's possible, but at least get to some semblance of normality and equalization. I think as we see other countries treat women differently, it's really important to appreciate how far America has come, but there's still such a long way to go. And there's this beauty in culture that everyone is so different and has different upbringings, language is different, negotiation is different, conversation is different, and how we approach business is so different. So if you're a listener, whether you've had the opportunity to either travel personally or travel through business, think about what matters to you and what those takeaways are. And as you mentioned, determine what your values are and stay true to them because values help anchor us and that's clearly what's helped you be so successful throughout your career. And as we think about what you're doing now at Google, you clearly have appreciated this notion that I have an opportunity to help a lot of women. 
and you're now leading a women's group at, at Google. Can you tell us a little bit about what that looks like, what it means to you and how you got started? Yeah, of course. So um, this is a pre-established team at Google. It's called Women at you know Google, basically, and and they it's a forum for people to discuss um, any issues, whether they're work related or personal, uh, with their peers, provide a support group. Um, I personally lead an initiative because for me, uh, what was important was like I said in my last job, I realized that women leaders have to um, conduct themselves differently right and and you know I'm not I don't mean this in a bad way I, I just think that you have to be very conscious in a room uh, that you are a women leader and you know you know kind of call out if there are people who you know treated other women differently you have to give space to other women um, and then and then you, so your conduct has to be such that you know you create that space in a room where women are being respected and treated well right and I think for me what I was always passionate about was that whether it's you know male or female leaders doesn't matter. I always thought there's something to be learned from everybody. And one of the things that I realized when I joined Google was that every leader was so different, right? Um, people had their own path to success. Some people had multiple failures in life or still, you know, were there where they are. Uh, people who had a stellar career right from the beginning and knew we we're gonna land as a VP at Google, right? So I realized that everyone had a very different path. And I have talked about this, that I've made many pivots in my career. And um, until I joined Google, I wasn't really clear about like, what's my ultimate pivot? Like, where am I gonna land, you know? And so um, I started talking to leaders personally, right? And I, and I realized that there's so much to unpack in just listening, just like what you're doing, with people in their career, just listening to a leader's journey at Google that, and especially for women, because a lot of times, you know, women, um, especially if you have a family, if, you know, if you are an immigrant, if you're a minority group, um, you tend to, um, you know, you tend to be less aspirational than others for whatever your own reasons, not because you can't do it, just because you think you, you won't be able to do it, that they, they had to listen to, to the journey of other leaders, both male and female. And so I started creating a group um, which was called Connecting with Leaders. And it started with 14 people in a room talking about deeply personal and professional topics really like about really rough things um, that they've gone through in their career and for just people to listen and talk to that leader and then now it's expanded to 400 people like the last one that I did was 400 people and um, and it, it's just been incredible to see the interest from both you know mostly females but even males in the in the, in the team and the company um, and I've gone to so many you know letters and emails from people where they're saying you know it's just really good to just listen to people's journeys, right? So I think that for me, the, the focus has been on leadership and leadership values and how to help, how to learn from other leaders at Google. Uh, apart from that, I also, um, you know, advise and build sort of the roadmap for other women at events. Um, there's multiple tracks in there. It's a very um, complex subject, but it's right from, you know, income inequality to culture to, um, you know, we're, we're right now we're talking about, especially with the Black Lives Matter moment, mo movement, we're talking about uh, minority women of color. So we're just treating with a lot of subjects. We're just dealing with a lot of subjects and we, we have discussions about this. We have lunch about this. We bring in speakers to learn from them. And then we try to influence um, 
you know, uh, we try to influence the policies if we can, or at least suggest some to the teams internally, because I, I really believe in having a tangible um, outcome to these lunches and to these meetings. So uh, we work very closely with, uh, you know, we're trying to work very closely with the HR teams as well, but Google's already very great at this. Like they do an incredible job. Um, it's, it's, it's more about sort of uh, creating more awareness and, you know, letting people know that they have these resources if they need it. So we're, we're just trying to do our sort of part there. So it's still very early days. I think they have a lot to do um, there, but it's, it's really something, it's super close to my heart. And I personally grow so much by just talking to people um, about these kind of topics at Google. These grassroots efforts are so important to empower, obviously, women, but so many other minorities in the workplace. Naturally, Google has been at, at the forefront and the leader of enabling a lot of people. There's so many other companies that are doing this as well. We're starting to see that be even more prevalent right now. So I commend you for doing that. Going from 14 to 400 people is not easy. So I love that you're doing that. I'm excited to see how that progresses and how it evolves over time. I wouldn't be surprised if it reached 4,000 people. So as you're conducting these groups and speaking to a lot of these women, obviously a big portion of this group is listening and understanding empathy and recognizing that everyone comes from different backgrounds. You and I came from immigrant families. There's a different transition point, but even for us, our stories are completely different. And again, it's so important that you, as you step into the workspace, you're empathetic with another person's story and you start with listening and thinking through what they might be going through or what impacted their life and why they might be reacting a certain way to a particular situation. Because at the end of the day, we get 30, 60 minutes maybe for a specific meeting, which is a fraction of the day. We have no idea what's going on in their life outside of that one hour. So again, bringing empathy into every conversation is going to help drive humanity, I believe. I know it's a bold statement, but that's where I see a lot of this going. And again, if we go even deeper into those conversations that you're having in these meetings, what stands out to you particularly that you're hearing that's a commonality maybe across all these women or even the men joining those conversations? Yeah, um, you know, the interesting thing for me is that um, I know this is something people talk about is that no one's born to be a leader. You know, I think a lot of times when you're thinking, when you're charting out your career path, you think that you don't have it in you or there are moments when you think so. Um, everyone has those moments. And even the best leaders at Google that I have talked to and I have conducted these sessions with have had really, really low points in their career, right? And I think um, it's, it's really we always talk about preparation meeting opportunity. Um, and I can't really emphasize that more. I think one thing that I saw stood out in all these people was just their grit and their resilience. Right. And I think, um, that's something that, um, I've noticed it's, it's just, it, it's people always underestimate this, you know? And I think the fact that, um, they've been at it for years, they have, they've done something for years and, you know, um, they've gone through the motions, they've really experienced everything to get here. Um, it's something that we always forget, right? And I think a lot of times we feel entitled or we think, you know, 
we didn't get a promotion or we didn't get the position that we wanted. And, and we think, you know, we, we try to interpret that as politics or our inability, whatever that is. But I think there's always more to unpack and there's any, any failure um, is an opportunity to kind of either find gaps in you or try to realign yourself to how the company wants something from you or your leaders want something from you. And I think the more self-aware you are, um, the better it is for you. And it makes you gritty as well. And I think um, that's what I saw in a lot of these leaders is that they really, you know, they haven't just gotten here by, um, you know, by not working hard, you know, but this is, it sounds simple, but grit is really, really underrated. And I think, uh, especially in big companies where getting a small thing done, it takes so much energy and effort. Um, and so sometimes we just think it's not worth it, you know, and I think that problem magnifies in itself, whether it's Google or not at Google or your family or your, in, or your, you know, your society, like everything, right? You have to understand that um, grit and resilience is so important together. That's something that kind of stood out in almost all the leaders that we spoke to. I'm guessing that might be one of your values personally is grit and resilience. Yeah, uh, trying to build it. I don't know if I have enough of it, but trying to get there. <laughs> they go hand in hand, you know? They definitely do. You strike me as somebody who certainly has that. And let's be honest, both our careers didn't just magically happen overnight. There's so many pain points throughout that process and so many difficult nights where you question yourself, you wonder what the hell is going on? What did I do wrong? And a lot of self-doubt creeps in, but there's this magic that happens when you start to develop that energy to finally realize I could do this. Let's restart. Let's wake up. Let's recenter. And I think that's the commonality across a lot of people who become leaders. Do you agree with that? Yeah, I, I you, yeah, you definitely said that right. I think um, definitely. I, I think that's kind of the sweet spot, right? Uh, but it's just, it's so difficult to make that decision, Edward. Like, how do you decide should I quit or should I go on? Is such a difficult because because I think in hindsight there's a bias. You have a hindsight bias of saying. I made the wrong decision or the right decision, but really a decision is made when you have information at hand and you have, you know, your circumstances and you're making that decision. So it's kind of unfair to look back and say, Oh, you made the wrong decision because at that moment that was the right decision. So it's just like, first of all, figuring out how, what's your kind of decision-making heuristic. And secondly, to be able to assess it fairly in the future so you can learn with it, right? And I think that's where um, this whole question, it becomes incredibly difficult. Absolutely. And it's important to figure out what that heuristic is for you. And there's multiple of them to figure out how to anchor yourself in making decisions once you have that information. And in today's world, information comes at us at lightning speed, and we're able to hopefully synthesize as much as possible to make some of those decisions and decide, am I going to move forward? Am I going to pivot? Is it time to move on? More often than not, it's important to stay persistent, and you're able to accomplish many of those goals that you seek out. Uh, and again, as we're thinking through how to develop a lot of these skill sets, I'm curious, are you somebody who learns through reading a lot of books? Do you love podcasts? What's your go-to methodology to ingesting new and kind of fun information? 
Um, definitely reading. Um, I, I, what are, your, I, what are your favorite books right now? Oh, so as you know, I'm pregnant. I'm reading a lot of books and raising kids right now, but that's apart from that, I, I spent a lot of time, um, reading about black swan events in the last four months, just because this, this pandemic was my first in my career, the recession that's going to follow is going to be my first in my career. And I just wanted to know how to deal with it. This, 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 um, I have this, you know, quest to always know what I'm dealing with and whether or not I do anything with it is different, but I always want to read about it. So, um, you know, I, I've been reading a lot of Talib. I don't know if you know, he's the guy who kind of coined the term black swan, um, also a math professor. I have a math background. So um, been really, really interested in almost all his books. Um, you know, he talks about random events in life. He talks about risk and tail events. He talks about pandemics and black swan events. So that's something that I've been, um, that I pretty much read all his books basically in the last four months. Um, and I remember picking these books like six years back and really not understanding anything. <laughs> and now I feel like, I feel like just with whatever's happening in the world, I have, first of all, I have the time and the mental space and the curiosity to learn more, but he's definitely one of my favorite authors, you know, for this, for 2020 uh, is Nassim Talib. Certainly relevant. Uh, there's a lot to learn and clearly you went really deep into Black Swan events, which for those who might not know, are really events or circumstances that have a very small chance of happening and are relatively unpredictable in life. Uh, but they have happened over and over and over again throughout human history. So there's a lot for people to learn there. And the positive is that we all come out of it. Humanity continues to move forward, continues to innovate and continues to support one another. It's kind of the beauty of this whole thing. And that's essentially why we started Career Meets World is to help people out and as we are somewhat coming to a close, uh, I do want to make sure that our listeners are able to stay in touch with you. You have such a great story. You've impacted so many people across many different communities, whether they're immigrants, certainly women, people of color, really appreciate the work that you're putting in. It's not easy, uh, but continue doing that work, continue supporting others. So where can our listeners reach out to you if they're interested in connecting? Yeah, um, I did want to clarify one thing that Nassim Talib went on record saying that the pandemic was not a black swan event, which is, you know, I didn't understand that. But apparently people should have expected the pandemic as Bill Gates predicted it five years back. Uh, but that's like something that he always says. So I thought if the listeners are fans, then I don't want them to think that we have, we, you know, we haven't thought about that. But anyway, um, but thank you, Edward. First of all, this was such a great conversation. You know, um, I've, I've been in several you know, talks and podcasts and very rarely does the conversation go so, you know, sort of fluently just kind of flows with, with the speaker and you did a great job of doing that. Um, secondly, I am always up for talking to new people, especially, especially being at Google, you sometimes are in your own shell and I lack the interaction with people in the industry. Um, so uh, the two the be two best ways to reach me one is uh, my my email so um, we can kind of put that in the in the podcast listing as well but it's my first name and then last name and five 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 at gmail.com and then my Twitter um, so Mahek Sharma. 2012, you'll see on Twitter. Um, that's kind of the two best ways to reach me. Um, I'm always up for coffee chats, conversations about career, 
um, yeah, and, and also learning from different people, you know. Awesome. Um, we'll certainly share that information out so you can connect more with people beyond Google, but there's plenty of great people at Google in itself. Uh, feel free to reach out to Mahak to learn more about her story and, and see uh, if there's more synergies along the way for yourselves. So as we come to a close in every conversation, we always take our guests through the hot seat where we'll ask you some fun and exciting questions. So I'm curious, are you ready? I'm okay. I'm ready. I'm scared, but I'm ready. <laughs> okay, I'll be nice. Um, all right. We'll keep these relatively light and, and kind of lighthearted, but you're an avid traveler. You love kind of traveling all around the world and short of asking you, where would you go right now? Because I feel like that's a little bit insensitive of me. <laughs> Rather than picking a city, what's one restaurant you wish you could go back to right now anywhere in the world if you had the opportunity to go there? Oh my gosh, that's such a good question. Um, I honestly, I'm dreaming, I don't remember the place, but I'm dreaming of this restaurant that I went to in Turks and Caicos. It's by the beach. It had the best Jamaican food I've ever had in my life. For me, uh, it's always a combination of ambience and the food itself. Um, I'm really, the name is kind of, I can't think of it, but on the beach, cool wind, beautiful water, and some really good Jamaican food uh, is, is what I'm looking at. <laughs> but that's what I'm going to do the moment the, the pandemic kind of lets me travel. That's, that's my next spot to eat my food. Awesome. Uh, it sounds majestic. I'm a huge fan of Jamaican food. There's not that many places in the Bay Area that I found to have it, but uh, I'm a huge fan of it as well. Yeah, it's really, really good. There's one on Brandon if you want to try. You can pick me separately. It's really good. <laughs> Will do. So one final one for you, kind of, you've hit on a lot of this, given your experience at so many different large and well-established multinational companies, what would be your advice to somebody who's early on in their career and looking at their North Star of some of these large companies or looking at these companies as becoming their North Star for where they want to take their career? How would you recommend they navigate entering some of those companies? Because obviously for Google, Facebook, Amazon, it's become arguably harder to get into those companies than it is into Harvard. So what would be your number one piece of advice to figure out how to land a job there? Um, it's really, this is, it's going to be very specific to the people that, that are asking this question, but I think um, for, for, I've had to answer that question for a lot of people. I think my advice, the first thing that I always invite people is to talk to people in these companies, right? And I think, um, and I think that's so important, right? And I think, uh, you know, assuming you have the right background, assuming you're smart, assuming you're ambitious, assuming you have all the right elements, the one thing that makes a lot of difference for you to build a conviction that this is the right company for you and for people to know that, you know, you're out there and you're talented and you want to work with them is um, networking um, and not networking in the regular way, but I'm, I'm talking about one-on-one -on -one deep networking where you actually find, you know, teams or um, areas of product where you, you really want to work in and you have a good reason to do so. And then you talk to people in those teams and uh, understand exactly what the work entails. Because 
oftentimes we ignore the, the, the reason it's hard to get into Google is because I feel like people either apply for the wrong positions or they don't, uh, they don't express exactly how they're a good fit. And I think, you know, all these companies do an incredible job of making sure that you're a good cultural fit and you have the skill set to be successful in these companies, uh, more so than you yourself know, right? And I think and I think that discovery process is actually important for you as well as much as it is for the company. So just kind of blindly following the herd to join Google is not is not the right way to do it. It's really understanding why and whether you would be successful um, is, is really important. And I think that comes from conversations that you can have with these people at these companies. So um, I, I, yeah, I can't emphasize enough, you know, about that. There's, you know, this is, um, I've been reading this book on, by the Sanford Dean on raising a kid and, you know, how parents are over indexed on just getting their kids in Ivy schools. And I think, um, you know, it's the same thing as an early graduate, you want to get into Google and Facebook and, and it's not just Google and Facebook, and it's not just, you know, these one or two teams. It's really understanding what is the right fit for you and then kind of pursuing that for the right reasons. And it'll work once you do that the right way. You know, if you if you have done your research and your due diligence, it'll work the right way. I love that. I went light on you, but that's such an important question because it ultimately hits on the fact that many companies test for aptitude but we can test it ourselves and be honest with ourselves on what we actually care about, whether it's the size of the company, the product that they're building, the culture, the future that they envision, and ultimately their mission is what we need to align with. So simply attaching ourselves to a large company is not necessarily the right way to go and being thoughtful about that in the same way that companies are thoughtful in the way that they select candidates. It's really, really important. Mahak, Thank you so much for joining us today. You're doing such incredible and meaningful work within Google, outside of Google. You've built a beautiful family of a newborn on the way very, very soon. Super excited for you. Really appreciate the time and thank you again. Thanks, Edward. It was a pleasure talking to you today. Hey, thanks so much for listening to the Career Meets World podcast. I would love to get to meet you. There are a couple of ways we can connect. You know I love my LinkedIn. Simply search for Career Meets World or Edward Gorbis and feel free to connect. Second is via Instagram at Career Meets World. And third is through our website. I have a special spot for you full of fun, free resources. All you have to do is go to careermeetsworld.com, subscribe to our newsletter, and we'll provide you the free resources to help you boost your career and reach financial freedom. And if this podcast was helpful to you in any way, please consider rating and reviewing this podcast on Apple Podcasts. This helps us help more people. Simply tap the rate with five stars and leave a sentence with what you liked about the podcast. Thanks so much for tuning in. Remember, strengthening your growth mindset is your ticket to success. I'm Edward Gorbis, and we'll catch you on next week's episode.